Good morning, everyone, to you here in the Worship Center. Also, those of you in Nickel Hall, good morning. And to those of you that are listening or watching online, we're so glad that you would join us. If you have your Bible, you can go to Ephesians chapter 1. My name is Tim, and I'm going to continue our series this morning called The Best Life. Now, we are here this morning, and you woke up and you came to church. And when you woke up, you probably did a whole bunch of things that you barely gave any thought to whatsoever. Call that grooved activity. So uh, getting up, there's uh, bathroom, there's breakfast, there's brush. You hardly gave a thought to that. And for some of us, that is really good because we're diesels. And it takes us a while to warm up and actually you know, become alive and awake. On a more important level, you also have grooved thinking. So think of it like a computer when you turn your power on your computer and it starts to boot up. It loads up these pre-programmed programs that are there ready to be used in the background, ready to be accessed at any time. So it is with us in our thinking. We have these preloaded ways of thought, um, values and, and judgments that we've agreed upon within ourselves that are preloaded the moment we get up. How the world works, what's important, what my life should be about. We call that worldview. We all have it, and it's there, often just residing there subconsciously, like a program in the background, but it's having a huge impact in our lives. And it's a good thing that we have this worldview, because if you woke up every morning and you had to make a new decision about what's important to you, what you value, what life is about, and what your place in that world really is, it would drive you insane. And so, it's there. It's formulated. And as we look at people and as you encounter enough people, you realize that there are a lot of different worldviews out there. And they intermingle with one another, so sometimes um, there's a mixture. But as we label them, we see there's, there's people like Cindy. Cindy, as she looks at the world, she, she doesn't believe in any spiritual aspect to the world whatsoever. To her, the, the, the world is only true in its physical reality. Truth, reality, is only what you can see and measure. Cindy's view is called naturalism. Then there's David. David believes that everything is part of God, and God is in everything. He's in you. He's in the trees that were blowing in the wind yesterday. David's view is called pantheism. And then there's Kristen. Kristen doesn't believe in truth, at least not truth that's uh, objective. Your truth is good for you, and her truth is good for her. There is no real morality. There's no meaning. It's all socially constructed. Her view is called postmodernism. And we could go on, agnosticism, not believing that God can be known, atheism, believing, belief that there is no God, monotheism, belief that there is one God, all these things existing within people. And sometimes it's a mixture, they overlap, and especially as we consider all, our culture and the influence that culture has on how we look at the world. Individualism today is such a huge thing. Materialism, consumerism, all these things working together that a person has a particular worldview, sometimes syncretistic, drawing from others, mixing them together. George Barna, who wrote a book called Think Like Jesus, in his introduction, he talks about an occasion where he was on a flight, and beside him he meets this man, didn't really want to talk to him, but they started to engage in a conversation. Uh, his name was Bill from Las Vegas. And as they began to talk, they got into a fairly deep conversation, and, and 
Had George Barner realized that this man's worldview was like it was inconsistent, it was contradictory. He said he was a Christian, but later he said he didn't really believe in God. Didn't, he believed in heaven, but didn't believe in God. It just, as he kept talking, it made no sense, and yet he held very dearly to what he believed. And this is true of us. Our worldview is so much a part of us, it's part of our identity. Seth Godin, who is a secular marketer and very well known for it, says that people don't want to change their worldview. They like it, they embrace it, and they want it to be reinforced. We have a default. And that default does not want to be changed. And likely it won't be changed unless we run into a crisis or we have an aha moment where we realize the way that we're living our life and the way that we're looking at the world, even though it might be good, that there is a better way. And this morning we're talking about the best way, the best life. And as we look at Scripture, it, it, it holds nothing back but to say that the writer is putting forward a worldview in which he says that this is the way to live. This is what you should see, how you should see the world and how you should live in it. And it's, it's telling us that Jesus is the center of life. And, and it's proposing to you and it's wanting to compel you to make Jesus and his story the lens by which you look at the world at both seen and unseen and, and the way you look at yourself and then how you live in the world as it's headed into its future. Let's remember that what is written here this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 is written by a man who has undergone a radical shift in his own personal worldview. His name is Paul. He was once a hater of Christians, did not believe in the message of Christianity, but then he met Jesus. For Paul, it would be a tragedy for you to have your life and the smaller picture doing really well, so you're comfortable, you've got the material things that you need, you're protected, your, your future is well looked after. For him it would be a tragedy for you to have all those things in place, but not be connected to the bigger picture that he's going to talk to us about this morning. That would be a tragedy, and so we pick it up. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where we looked at yet last Sunday, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul would never have believed this years earlier. But on a road to persecute Christians, he met the living, resurrected Jesus. And his whole worldview was changed upside down. Because of that event, he's now liberated to a new way of thinking, a new way of living that he is willing to lay his life down for. And in this letter to the Ephesians, he is, he's beginning to unpack to us the privileges that we have in being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me recap what we've learned so far. God has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has made it so that we can stand holy and blameless 
before the presence of a holy God. In love, God has chosen that we would be his adopted children. We are not orphans. God has chosen us to be in relationship with him. In through his son, Jesus Christ, at great cost, at the cost of his blood, we have been purchased, we've been freed, we've been set to liberty. We've been forgiven of our sins. This is what Paul has told us so far as we've walked through these verses in Ephesians 1. But now he's got more to tell us. And it has to do with the future. That God has revealed to us, he says, the mystery of his will. God has revealed to us something that has been hidden in times past. This is what mystery means according to the Apostle Paul. It's it's something that's been hidden in the times past. And God from eternity has been scheming this great plan for it to be unveiled in the future. This Christmas I was part of a great scheme. I was actually at the receiving end of that great scheme. I have a great family, and one of my daughters, our youngest, was living in Lithuania and not expected home until January 15th, so she is going to miss Christmas. A couple of days before Christmas, we were invited to my oldest daughter's uh, a home that her and her husband uh, were house-sitting, and we were going to have dinner, all of us except April. So we're there, we're in a new house, it's a beautiful home, and as we arrive, they begin to give us a tour of the house. Um, I mean, it was a big, beautiful home, and so this took quite a while, and then after we'd done that, after about 20 minutes, uh, Justin, my, my son-in-law, married to my oldest daughter, Amy, says, um, can we gather in the family room? Uh, we have some news to tell you. So we gather in the family room, and of course, this is all new surroundings to all of us. And so, you know, the fact that there's this big oblong box in the room against the wall is irrelevant as far as we're concerned. Um, and I'm really excited to hear what the news is, because what, what would I be expecting? Uh, I'm expecting an announcement here about a pregnancy. I'm expecting grandchild number three. And so Justin says, we, we've got some great news for you. Um, but April wants to be in on it, so we are going to call her on WhatsApp, and then, and then we'll give you the news. So, you know, the, he dials her up on the phone, and uh, it begins to ring, and, it, and it's really echoey in the room. Like the ring doesn't sound like it's coming from its phone. It sounds like it's filling the whole room. And, and I said to him, oh, you must have picked up on the Bluetooth in this house. And so it's filling the house. And as I say that... Out of the oblong box in the room jumps up my little daughter, April. Well, reactions were swift. My other son-in-law, Caleb, says, I knew it, I knew it, though he clearly did not. (laughs) My middle daughter, Stephanie, is upset because she finds out that April has been here a whole 24 hours and she hasn't been able to see her during that period, but this was necessary to make this unveiling happen at the right time. Meanwhile, Dad is standing there a little bit perplexed, thinking, does this mean there's no baby? (laughs) Though clearly the joke was on them. And all of a sudden, the two babies that are there start screaming because of the chaos and confusion (laughs) that has broken out into the family room. What a beautiful scheme. And how fantastic to be on the end, the recipient of such a beautiful scheme. 
Paul wants us to know that God has been scheming. It says according to his plan in the ESV, but it really means according to his good pleasure. God has been scheming. Now we, we look back because we live on this side of the, of the life of Jesus Christ and, and the cross event that he went through in his resurrection. We look back and we, as we read our Old Testament, we can see all kinds of promises that they didn't get at the time that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But, but there's more to come. There's more to come. There are more promises yet to be fulfilled that are yet to come. And Paul says, as part of God's lavish, overflowing grace to us, this mystery he has revealed to us. Now, if you read the whole letter to the Ephesians, the word mystery is used quite, quite a lot by the Apostle Paul. It doesn't mean something mysterious or something secretive. It simply means something that has been veiled, like a, like a Christmas gift. It's been under wraps, and, and you, can't, you may think you know what it is. You can, you can have some conjecture, but you're not sure until it's unveiled, until it's unwrapped. So Paul talks in chapter 3 of a, the mystery of the Gentiles and the Jews being made into one community of faith. It was always thought under, under the Old Testament that, yes, the, the Jews were blessed by God to be a blessing, and the Gentiles could experience that blessing, but only as they came into the Jewish faith. The mystery that was hidden that has now been revealed that Paul is a, a proclamator of is that both Gentile and Jew have to come into Christ and in Christ become one new humanity with no barrier between them and no barrier between God. This is, this is radical. This is scandalous. And as people preached it, those whose worldview was, was different from that, the, the Jewish people that couldn't adjust to it became violent in opposition. But this was a mystery that was revealed. We read in chapter 5 where Paul talks about the mystery of a husband and wife. That, that you know, when we, when we get married, when people get married, it, it, it's not just to fill the gaps. It's not just to, well, she meets my needs, I meet her needs. There's something way bigger, a mystery that's been unveiled to us. That the relationship of husband and wife can reflect the beautiful mystery of Christ's love for the church. And so Paul says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. He says every man loves his own body. You should love your wife as your own body. Why? Because you've become one flesh. This is a mystery, Paul says, but I'm speaking of Christ and his church. You see, the mystery is that we, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will be made one with him. We become part of his body together. What a beautiful mystery that's been unveiled to us. And then we read in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul writes there, he says that, would you pray for me that I would proclaim the mystery of the gospel as I should. As Paul thinks about the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's writing to us here, the whole thing, he says, is this amazing mystery that's being unveiled to us. I mean, who would have thought that God's way of rescuing and saving the world would come through a crucified person on a cross? 
Wouldn't you have thought it would come through a political powerhouse, a, a dynamic ruler who would come and he'd coerce, he would force the world to bow their knee. But instead, in the mystery of the gospel that was unveiled to us in Jesus, God comes in flesh and sacrificially lays his life down for us so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can be adopted as we talked about, so that we can stand before him Righteous and blameless. Oh, this is the unveiled story, the unveiled mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his authority, more is yet to come. There's a mystery coming. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, that is, is his good pleasure which he set forth in Christ. What is that mystery? What is coming? What has God unveiled to us? Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In the fullness of time, in the right time, much longer than that 30 minutes sitting in a box. In the right time. In the fullness of time, just like Jesus came and in the right time for him to come, in the fullness of his time for that, there is another time coming. God's right time. And we are in the in-betweens, waiting for that right time. And when that right time happens, here's what, gonna, here's what is going to happen, he says. He will unite all things in him. He will unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is amazing. This is, the, this is the coming together of the story of God. This is the fulfillment. This is where our world is headed towards. It is headed towards a time when everything will be united in Jesus Christ. Those things that are in him. In our story that we are part of as, as a follower of Jesus Christ and, and the true story of the world is that we go back to the beginning of, of our creation in Genesis, how God created man and woman and he created them in his image and he gave him a place to live, a, a garden to develop and cultivate <clears throat> and one law not to break, but, but man chose their way instead of God's. And so he, man introduced death, he introduced brokenness to the world, and ever since, life has been a mixture of both good things and bad things, but so much destruction, so much dysfunction, so much hurt, so much pain, and so much futility. Something's going to happen that's going to affect things in heaven and things in earth. And that's something that is going to happen is there is going to be a uniting in Jesus Christ who will make it happen. We read in Romans chapter 8 how we yearn for this. It says in Romans chapter 8 verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
When that first couple sinned against God and rebelled against him, the, the earth became cursed. And so even God's physical creation became subject to futility. And we see it all the time, destruction amongst the physical part of the world. And, and, and Paul writes in Romans that that physical part of our world is like groaning for what's to come. Groaning for what Jesus is going to do. Because just as Adam and his disobedience against God caused there to be a curse in the earth and a curse in the world, so the obedience of the second Adam, Jesus, will cause there to be a, a uniting. A they will cause there to be a wholeness to come to our world. And so we read a few more verses in Romans 8. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. The day is coming, Paul says, as he reveals another mystery there, that we are going to have new bodies. All this pain, the futility in our physical being, and as you get older, that becomes more apparent. But all that futility is going to be done away with as we're united in Christ and, and we'll be clothed with something new, new bodies prepared for a new heaven and a new earth. This is the mystery of God's will unveiled to us, written down for us as part of God's lavish grace towards us. How amazing is that? And so <clears throat> when we get to the end of the book and we read in Revelation chapter 21, this vision that John has of the end of the times, and he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And think about our futility, think about our pain, think about our suffering, think about the yearning we have for life to be made right. It says here in verse 4, Revelation 21, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be, no, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the mystery of God's will revealed to us as His children that things will be united in Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote many years ago a number of uh, chapters on this chapter in Ephesians, he says that word unite, when you look at it in the original language, actually has a prefix which says again. In other words, we're going to be reunited. What has been futile will be reunited to its original intent. God created a beautiful, glorious world with those um, who, were, who were created to rule over it and reflect his image as human beings. And, and with all the tragedy they've gone through, they're going to be reunited in Christ to their original purpose. Not taken away somewhere, but in a new heaven, a new earth that are now fused together where they will rule and reign with Jesus, who Ephesians 1 tells us has been raised to the right hand of the Father, high above every principality, power, every dominion. 
It's all going to be under his authority and rule as he submits himself to God the Father. It is an incredible world, an incredible future that God has for us in Christ. It's important to remember those words in Christ because this is not a universalism. When the scripture talks about Jesus reconciling all things, it's not talking about those things that have rejected him. There will be no fallen angels that will be reunited in Christ. There will be no one outside of Jesus, human beings, who outside of Jesus in this life who have rejected him will then be reconciled to him. No, if you, if you follow the context of Scripture and even this passage we're reading this morning, it, are the, it is those who have believed in Jesus Christ. This is their future. No pain, no suffering. And in their midst, the presence of God No need for sun, no need for moon, no need for artificial light because God will be in the midst of them with his glory shining brightly and forever they will live with him in eternity. This is the mystery that has been unveiled for you. So what do we do with this incredible truth that God has shown us? Well, you... You might be here this morning and your worldview is quite different. You haven't been a follower of Jesus. You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. And this morning, this scripture is simply saying to you to choose Jesus. To choose him. I was thinking about FOMO, fear of missing out. And when I look at the scriptures and I contemplate what God has in store for us, what he's been scheming for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says in the coming ages, he wants to show us the lavishness of his grace. Uh, Like, I don't think we can. We can't imagine what God has in store for us. I mean, there'll probably be new senses. There'll be things, you know, we, we may... Like now we can touch, feel, see. We have colors. There'll probably be new colors. Like it's going to be mind-blowing. And, and for the coming ages, God is going to spend eternity sharing with us the lavishness of his grace, which the, the bottom of it, we cannot plumb the depths of his grace and his love towards us that he, that he loves and gave his life for. I, I would not want to miss out on that. Our view sometimes of God is so skewed, so different from what the scriptures actually teach us. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a party. It's like a wedding feast that God wants everybody to come to. We're all invited. It's not, you know, it's, Christianity is not trying to keep people out. It's inviting them in. Jesus is saying, come, come to the party. Be part of this because God can plan something far better than you and I ever could. It's going to be so glorious. It's beyond our imagination. I would choose Jesus. Scriptures are, are trying to compel you of your own free will to choose Jesus. Now I know that most of us in this room have professed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You're here this morning because you, you, you love Jesus. You want to follow him. And, and, and to you I would say that the same thing actually Choose Jesus to be the center of your worldview. You see, just because we have professed Jesus does not mean that there are not ways of thinking and patterns of living that are contrary to what God is actually wanting for us in his scripture. 
When you become a Christian, it's like you, you have default programs that are still there, existing in the background. That's why Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That There are programs, there are ways of thinking that need to be discarded. They need to go to the delete can, the trash can, and replaced with God's way of thinking. And so we do this by relentlessly giving ourselves to, to pour over the scriptures and then to practice and believe what it says. I'm encouraging you to make Jesus the center of your worldview with no add-ons. That he alone is the way you look at the world. He alone is the way you look at who you are. He alone is the way you look at your present, your past, and your future. So that from what we've already learned as we've be begun to go through this section in Ephesians 1, when it says that you stand holy and blameless in a sight in Christ, that you don't wallow in guilt, you don't, you don't allow the shame of your past to hand, handcuff you from living a life courageously before God. That because the scripture tells you you're an adopted son or daughter of God, you don't live your life in worry about how things are going to turn out in your circumstances because you know you're a child of the living God who is sovereign, who, who is working out the plan of the world to its beautiful conclusion. Surely he can take care of you and your circumstances and you can live without fear and anxiety. You can live in hope and faith. Appropriate what God has given to you through his son, Jesus Christ, and then live out what Jesus has lived out for you. And so the scripture shows us this often. It'll say, forgive as Jesus has forgiven you. So, so we, can't, we can't make excuses for ourselves in our minds when somebody hurts us. Well, they, did, they don't deserve forgiveness. No, we go, we're constantly looking at scriptures and we're, we're appropriating what Jesus has done for us and then that becomes the model for how we live. And just as Jesus has forgiven us, so I'm gonna forgive you. And just as Jesus gave up his life for me, laid it down, so, so now I begin to think about how am I living my life? Is it all about me, me, me? Or can I begin to live like Jesus did and begin to give my life away? Philippians 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he was glorious in God, he, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in likeness of man and gave his life away in obedience to the cross. This is what we do. This is how our worldview is formed and reinforced so that we know and we experience the best life that God has for us. Let me encourage you this morning to align your thinking and your actions, to align your worldview where all of history is headed to Jesus Christ. It has been God's good pleasure to let his children in on the grand plan for the world. Our worldview leads to the best life when it is found purely 100% in him. Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, we stand in awe of your grace towards us. Lord, how you have lavished, how you've been abundantly generous in who you've made us to be and the story that you have for us, Lord, both past, present, but also, Lord, our future. 
Thank you, Lord, for unveiling to us, Lord, some of our future in Christ Jesus, Lord. It gives us so much hope. I pray, Lord, that, that this truth would compel us, Lord, to live in you, through you, as you live through us, Lord, and experience you in all our ways and find the best life. In Christ's name I pray, amen.